0: The character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Good. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 7:01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carriker. Good morning, Michelle. How you doing?
3: I'm doing well, Randy. How are you? Big night in St. Louis sports.
2: Yeah, it, it really was great and a big day overnight. If you have not heard, the Blues with their fifth win in a row, three nothing over the LA Kings last night. And Michelle, last night I've, I've got my side by side TVs, and I've got Peyton and Eli on one. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got, and that's the St. Seahawks Monday Night Football game. And then I've got the Blues on the other. And I'm focused on listening to Peyton and Eli and watching the Blues. I'm saying, come on, somebody score here. And finally, the Blues came through in the third period and improved to 5-0. The first time in Blues history they have been
3: 5-0. They're playing unbelievable right now. And the fact that... They're clicking in all facets. You know, you've got the goaltending doing really well. We've talked a lot about the depth on this team, especially with the Fords. But, Randy, to see Vladimir Tarasenko look like vintage Vladdy has been the highlight of the season so far for me.
2: And last night was absolutely vintage Vladdy. Six shots on goal. And it was against the Kings three years ago that he suffered the shoulder injury. And last night in the third period, he has an opportunity to score a goal eerily similar to the move that he made when he, when he did get injured against L.A. This time, though, it got behind the goalie. Robert Thomas to go back to his own in and from the left to the right, grab the puck for the Blues, chuck it rink wide for Tory Krug. Sails it to the near wing, Single gets the line on sight. cuts to the middle, shoots, scores! That was vintage Vladdy, wasn't it? That was as good as uh, any goal that Vladimir Tarasenko has ever scored. In terms of making the moves, in terms of the laser accuracy of the shot, it's as cool as any goal he's ever scored.
3: It was one of those goals that you want to immediately go to social media and get the clip of it and watch it over and over and over again. It was that sensational. But we know when Vladimir Tarasenko is healthy that he is in rarefied air. He has the type of skill that puts him in an elite tier in the national hockey league he's the type of player that can take over a game we just hadn't seen it for so long because he's been dealing with those injuries but I keep thinking Randy if Vladimir Tarasenko is indeed as Jeremy Rutherford put in the athletic Vladdy's uh, surgeon said that he is 100% healthy and motivated if this is the type of performance that we can expect expect week in and week out from Vladimir Tarasenko this season how much does that improve the Blues chances and I mean- how much does that improve the complexity of this team it's
2: unbelievable you know what i was thinking when he scored that goal and then by the way that came at the 308 mark at the 1531 mark vladdy showed that he wasn't done for the night 444 to go we're in the third one nothing blues
0: leading kempe skates it in down the left wing fires a shot low and wide of huso the kings get it back to anderson at the flex away and he tried to spring Sinkle. breakaway he's in he shoots he scores
2: David Perron, who will join us at 845, had the Blues' final goal, an empty net or The Blues win it by a score of 3-0. And, Michelle, as Vladdy scored those two goals, I wasn't thinking how this affects the Blues. I was thinking about how this affects his trade value. I really was. I I started to actually, I went to my computer and said, okay, let's look at teams that are surprisingly good that have a lot of cap space or surprisingly bad that have a lot of cap space. Teams that think, okay, all we need is a goal score. That's what my approach was. I I know it's terrible because I want to be thinking about the Blues being good, but I, I wasn't thinking that when he did that.
3: Well, we had heard from uh, several guests that there had been scouts at Enterprise Center over the um, you know, the past couple games looking at Vladdy. Obviously, there's intrigue in him around the league, and you're right. If he continues to play this way, that value is going to continue to tick up and up and up. And it doesn't seem like – I know Jeremy Rutherford had in his piece this morning that it doesn't seem like Vladdy has changed his mind at all. But that's what I'm thinking, Randy. Right? You're thinking about trade value. I keep thinking I wonder if Vladimir Tar- Tarasenko continues to perform this way. He's playing on a team. That he knows will likely be a, be a playoff team and be able to contend for another championship. His teammates seem to be having good chemistry with him. The fans seem to have forgiven him chanting Vladdy last night. I kept thinking, I wonder if this continues, if his mindset will alter at all.
2: You, you would hope so, but he, he's not smiling much when he scores those goals. <laughs> And I, I hope that's just out of intensity and, and being serious about his craft right now. His first goal, as we mentioned, one of the great goals in Vladi in his entire career. What did he think?
1: Sometimes you need to try something, not just shoot the puck. So a uh, good thing it worked out. But uh, uh, I told you before, I don't really like to talk about goals. You know, biggest thing is just, you know, two goals. Help a team win. I'm not going to lie. It's nice to score the goals. And... Uh, like I said, I miss a lot of time. I'm enjoying my time over there, so uh, I think it's a good start. Five, five, nothing, and we look forward to keep
2: it going. Huso with the shutout. The Blues outshoot the Kings, 35-34. They outhit the Kings, who are supposed to be still a big, rugged team. 21-14 in hits, and the Blues are five and zero on the season. And they head to Colorado to take on the Avalanche again, coming up later in the week on Thursday.
3: One more thing, Randy, about Vladimir Tarasenko. Anytime that he's been interviewed after games, especially when he's scored the goals, he keeps saying goals don't really matter, that it's about the team, and it's about the fact that he's out there. I, I can't imagine what that's like when you are one of the best in the world at what you do. You know how, how talented you are at your craft, and then because of circumstances outside your control, meaning injuries, you don't have that, and you're out on the ice, and you aren't yourself anymore. I can't imagine what a relief it must be for him to be out on the ice and have moves and and goals like he had last night to know that he's back. The confidence that that probably provides for him and the peace of mind that that provides for him is probably pretty great.
2: No doubt. The Blues and Edmonton tied atop the Western Conference, both with 5-0 records and 10 points. San Jose has eight points so far. They're still stunningly good at the start of the season. Minnesota also in the central division with a record of four and one has eight points. All right. The blues, uh, will play again. As we mentioned, Thursday night at Colorado Cardinals, as expected yesterday, named Oliver Marmall as their new manager, Michelle and I said, when Mike Schilt got fired, that the pressure was going to be on the Cardinals to win a world series. And Oliver Marmall has been around this
1: organization. He gets it. Absolutely. Um, The expectations for this organization has always been the same to win a World Series. Um, Losing in the wildcard game or losing in the NLCS is no different. Sure, you have a little bit more pride and we made it further, but at the end of the day, a championship is the goal, and anything less than that, it is a disappointment. This year in 2022 is no different. Um, We will prepare in a way to take our shot at a championship, um, and anything less than that will be a disappointment.
3: No pressure, Ali. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, Ali Marmol has been in this organization a long time. He, he understands the assignment. He understands the task at hand. And I know that a lot of Cardinals fans weren't necessarily thrilled that the Cardinals went again in-house and chose another internal candidate. But you have to at least feel good about the fact that it's not somebody coming in from the outside who maybe doesn't understand what the pressure is like for this this Cardinals team or the Cardinals in general 2022 has long been the year that people circled as as the year that everything should click and the year that the Cardinals are going to contend for the World Series and nobody knows that better than somebody who's been inside the confines of that building and been on the bench with this club so he understands what the Cardinals need to do
2: and Michelle the expectations shouldn't be exceptional for Olimar Mall. They should be exceptional for Mo and Gersh to get him the players to win a World Series. Alex Cora did it in his first year And the Red Sox went out they, they traded for Chris Sale They they had already signed J.D. Martinez In Alex Cora's first year as manager of the Red Sox They got him the tools to win In the second year for Dave Martinez With the Washington Nationals They go out and sign Patrick Corbin They add him to Scherzer and Strasburg They make the moves necessary. Even though they had lost Bryce Harper, they made the moves necessary to give him the tools to win. And Dave Roberts obviously has the tools to win. His first managerial job. He didn't win in his first year, but clearly was given the tools to win by the Dodgers. The thing that the Cardinals have to do is can't expect their manager to be Whitey Herzog and to win games and be a difference maker in his first year. They need to give him the players necessary to win. So while I get that that Oliver Marmol feels pressure. As far as I'm concerned, all of the pressure here is on the front office to give him the tools to win.
3: Especially when it's been noted that this is going to be a collaborative effort and has been a collaborative effort with the front office. So I think that does take a little bit of pressure off Ali Marmol and allows him a little bit of a growth period because it's not just him making all of those decisions every day. It's a group of people that are weighing in on this. And I think especially if the DH does in fact come to the National League, that's, that's the less tactical decisions that he'll have to make. And it seems like more or less that he was given this role because of his traditional background, the coaching that he has, his influence within the organization, his acceptance of analytics, but because of the the relationships that he has, the type of people person he is, and the way that he's going to be able to unify and manage personalities within the clubhouse.
2: All due respect to the the young players who made it to the major leagues, and it's not their fault, but you can't have a bench in this day and age of unknown quantities. You can't start a season with Justin Williams and Austin Dean and Andrew Kisner and Jose Rondon, you can't have those guys as Edmundo Sosa, who turned out to be good. You can't have that group as your bench at the beginning of the season. Especially when you already know, again, all due respect, that Matt Carpenter was finished. You started with a completely terrible bench last season, and you were trying to make it work with guys that you didn't know about. We're all excited about Lars Newtbar. We don't know if Lars Newtbar is a professional hitter. He's obviously a talented player, but they have to enhance their bench, and it, it, it had been a long time since Andrew Miller had been healthy and good heading into last season. Tyler Webb had had his moments in 2020, but it had been a long time since he'd been good. We questioned the health of the starting rotation heading into spring training, and that question was borne out. That's why I'm saying Cardinals need to get, and there's no such thing as a sure thing, but they need to get more of a sure thing for Ali Marmol heading into 2022. They, They just need to pretty dramatically, I think, enhance what's behind a pretty good starting lineup.
3: I actually would be surprised if the Cardinals weren't aggressive in acquiring those pieces. I know that history has shown that sometimes that doesn't happen, even though they did go out and get Paul Goldschmidt. They did go out and get Nolan Arenado. But I think that they understand that the fan base is restless, that if the the product is not good, fans are not going to show up. You have a team that made the playoffs that looks like they're primed to take that next step. And you made a shocking decision to fire a manager that had taken the team to the postseason and had a, a general amount of success in favor of a new and unproven candidate. So they know that their window to win is there, but also that the pressure is on.
2: We have World Series Game 1 tonight here on 101 ESPN. Atlanta at Houston. Charlie Morton, the former Astro, will go for the Braves. He'll be opposed by Fromber Valdez. And you will hear the pregame at 6 here on 101 ESPN. 709 first pitch. Last night, Monday Night Football, it was the Seahawks with late field goal over the the Saints, rather, over the Seahawks. 13 to ten and slew basketball already getting underway they take on rockhurst in a preseason game tonight at seven o'clock at chaffetz arena and tickets are available for that one that's michelle i'm randy we're off and running here on 101 espn next up an early edition of take it or leave it get your text into the air comfort service text line 65780 tioli coming your way
0: on 101 espn we are right back to the Carrier and smallman podcast on 101 espn <laughs> <laughs>
2: We do take it or leave it at 745. A busy guest day today. However, Brett Bielma, the head coach of Illinois, after that nine overtime win over Penn State, will join us at 745. Darren Pang at 815. David Perron at 845. And Mike Claiborne at 930. So we're going to get to take it or leave it early. And we do welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Emily, and Randy. And Michelle, Mike Evans, you saw it the other day, caught the 600th touchdown pass of Tom Brady's career in a victory victory over the Bears, although they were saying on uh, PTI yesterday that it shouldn't count for as much because it was against the Bears. The 600.
4: Oh.
2: <laughs> but the, the guy that Mike <laughs> Evans gave the ball to is named Byron Kennedy, a 29-year-old internal medicine resident at Largo Medical Center. And They had to negotiate with him to get the ball back for Brady. He's going to get two signed Brady jerseys and a helmet. He's going to get game-worn cleats from Mike Evans and a jersey from him. He also gets two season tickets for Bucks home games for the rest of this year and next year. And he, by the way, was not a season ticket holder. And then last night on the Peyton and Eli broadcast of Monday Night Football, Brady said he's going to give him a Bitcoin as well. Take it or leave it. That is a good trade for Byron Kennedy.
3: I'm going to leave it because I, I think it's a pretty good package altogether. But I would have added that I get tickets to any postseason game. The Bucks are in as well.
2: Oh, that's a good call. And by the way, he initially asked for a round of golf with Brady and was turned down for that. But that's a great point. Yeah, all postseason games in 21 and 22, including the Super Bowl.
3: Yeah, if you're going to get tickets to all of the all of the home games, and you're going to go along this journey with Brady, and you're obviously giving Tom Brady and the Buccaneers something that's valuable, why wouldn't you up the ante and up the value of those tickets? Great! I want to go to the I want to go to the postseason. I want to go to the Super Bowl.
2: I want you as my agent when I get that milestone puck or ball.
3: You got it, Randy. And I don't even need ten percent. <laughs> just bring me to one of the games.
2: You got it. <laughs>
3: Okay Randy, well speaking of the NFL, we talked about this a lot last week about the Dolphins renewed interest in Deshaun Watson, who still hasn't played yet, but Tua Tagovailoa had a even in a loss a good game last week, and he threw a career-high four touchdown passes against Atlanta despite Miami losing its sixth straight game. Now, conversely, Sam Darnold, not a great game for the Panthers. He was actually benched, and reports are coming out that the Panthers now have renewed their interest in Deshaun Watson. So the trade deadline is looming. It's November 2nd at 3 p.m. Central time. Take it or leave it. The Carolina Panthers will actually be the team that acquires Deshaun Watson at the trade deadline.
2: Michelle, I'm going to take it. And let's start with Carolina because those wins that they piled up were fool's gold. They beat the Jets. They beat a, a struggling Saints team. And then they beat the Texans. Since then, they've lost to the Cowboys, Eagles, Vikings, and Giants. And Darnold has fallen off the face of the earth. The coach of Miami, who, by the way, apparently is under pressure himself, b he really likes Tua. So I'm thinking that with the richest and probably most impatient owner in the league in David Tepper, the Panthers would be the more likely team to overpay for Deshaun Watson. And I think the Vikings know that his value is limited because of the legal problems. I don't know that uh, the Panthers are thinking about it that way. I think they're thinking quarterback ahead of legal problems. Miami appears to be thinking legal problems ahead of quarterback. Miami has to... Both owners are in this Miami seems to have a general manager That's not on board with Watson Carolina's does I think that's going to be the difference
3: also, if you're Miami, we touched on this a little bit yesterday. It seems a little early to give up on Tua. I, I know he hasn't lit the world on fire. I know at times he's looked like he's really struggled. He's also dealt with injuries. But this was a guy that you were enamored with coming out of college. Whereas if you're the Panthers, you took a chance on Sam Darnold and he didn't, when he didn't have success in New York. And he's not the guy that you fell in love with. Miami was in love with Tua. So I think it might be a little harder for them to move on from Tua than it would be from the Panthers to move on from Sam Darnold
2: and even with the addition of Jalen Waddle Tua does not have a lot of great tools to deal with the Panthers have really upgraded and I know McCaffrey is hurt but they have three really good wide receivers they have a better offensive line Miami needs to help Tua out a little bit as well or Watson if they get him alright your text 65780 Emily what do we have
5: This one is from Mike from Oakville. Take it or leave it. The Blues win the Cup, but the Cardinals don't make the playoffs in 2022.
2: Oh. I'm going to leave that because I don't think, Michelle, that the National League Central is going to be overwhelming. We kind of touched on it yesterday, but... There's a lot of work for Milwaukee to do to improve their offense. Pittsburgh's not going anywhere. The Cubs aren't going anywhere in 22. The Reds are kind of iffy. I like the Cardinals' chances actually to make the playoffs better than I like the Blues' chances to win the Cup. So, And you know what? My early Cup favorite is Edmonton. They hired Ken Holland. Dave Tippett's doing a good job as their head coach. So I'm going to leave that one.
3: I'm going to leave it, too. It's much easier to make the playoffs than it is to win a championship, obviously. And even though the Blues look incredible, they're off to an historic start. I think it'll be a massive disappointment if the Cardinals don't make the playoffs. And unless there's some catastrophic injuries that happen that we can't predict right now, there's no reason that they shouldn't win the division.
5: From the 314 Ticket or Leave It, Tarasenko withdraws his request to be traded.
2: I'm going to leave that just simply because of what we saw all summer long. And I have to believe there's somebody in his ear, uh, some sort of a representative or family member, somebody who's in his ear about wanting to leave the blues.
3: I'm going to leave it as well, even though I think when it actually comes down to the, the decision time or for him to actually move, that it'll be a tougher decision and a tougher transition than maybe it would have been this summer. But I think He'll feel wanted by another team. He'll feel vindicated that he's co- said that he's healthy and he's motivated. and He's still the same Vladimir Tarasenko. And I do think he'll eventually move on.
5: From the 3-1-4 ticket or leave it, the Astros win the World Series in five games.
2: I'm going to leave that. And, Michelle, the reason is because I think that Morton and Freed, can win some games for Atlanta. Morton is a big game pitcher. He he pitched the clincher for the Astros in 2017. So I don't think it'll be five. I think Houston will win it, but I don't think it'll be as quick as five games.
3: I think Houston will win it as well. I'm hoping that we see a seven game series, but I'm with you. I think it, it goes at least six. From the 636, take it
5: or leave it, the Cardinals signed Kyle Gibson, John Lester, Eddie Rosario, and Albert Pujols in the offseason.
2: I'm going to leave that. And by the way, Gibson, I believe, has one year left in Philly. I don't think that he is a free agent.
3: I would leave that just on the Albert Pujols edition alone.
2: Yeah, Albert does not run particularly well anymore. He kind of runs like me, which is really slow and bad. We both run like (laughs) we're old and have sore feet.
3: And as incredible as it would be for him to reunite with Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright and have one last dance, I think the Cardinals are strictly looking at things from a wins and losses perspective right now. And they're looking for established players that they know that they can rely on. And even though Albert still has his moments, I don't think that he's the option for them. From the 314, ticket or leave it, Philip Rivers will be a college coach someday. Take it. Oh, I'll take that. Absolutely, he's a coach now.
2: Yeah, he's a dynamic high school coach and knows offense. Great personality. He—he'll be heck. I could see him being the uh, the head coach at NC State. Why not? Just put him there. That'd be good. So yeah, that's where he went, right? And North Carolina State, I believe so. Or was it South Carolina? I'm, I'm pretty sure it was NC State. But either way, I'm going to take it. All right. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And uh, thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Week 7 in the NFL is complete. And we've got some news and notes from around the league for you next on 101 ESPN. We're
0: right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: 7 complete in the NFL. Week 8 starts Thursday night with a good one in Arizona. The Packers against the Arizona Cardinals. And Michelle Devontae Adams, placed on the COVID list by the Packers, probably will not be able to play. And that's a huge loss for Green Bay in Arizona.
3: It absolutely is. And it's a huge loss for us watching that game because I wanted both teams at 100% because it's going to be an unbelievable matchup.
2: Still 10 weeks left in the season. But, Michelle, if the playoffs started today, how about this? The Cincinnati Bengals would have the top seed in the AFC.
3: I'm, I'm not surprised, Randy, with the way that Joe Burrow's been playing. He is proving that he is a star in this league and that he is turning that franchise around.
2: And we talked about the lack of tools that Tua has in Miami. Burrow has been surrounded by great talent by the Bengals. And Dan Orlovsky talked about why Burrow is
1: at the top of the quarterback list right now. This dude is a assassin. Like He's just a trained Killer mindset-wise, you know, he just he wants to rip your heart out. And I remember going into the draft, and I was saying, no, 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 you take Joe Burrow. This isn't you take Joe Joe Burrow because he never panics with the football. And Mm -hmm. I think that is such a separator. There's a lot of things that are when you don't panic with the football, you got a chance to be special. And he does he never panics with the football. And you watched yesterday some of the pocket movement. I think Joe Burrow needs to be in the MVP conversation.
2: He's got every tool in the toolbox, Michelle, and he's from near Cincinnati. He's a great story.
3: He is, and Randy, I don't know if you saw this quote, but he was talking about going into Baltimore and what was going to be a hostile environment. And he said, "I played in the SEC. I played in crowds that were way louder and way more intense than this." And Dan Orlovsky is correct. He's an absolute assassin. When you you saw how surgical he was during LSU's run to a national championship, nothing ever rattled him. Post game, he was cool, calm, collected, Joe Cool with the cigar. So I, I just think he's got the skill. Thankfully, he doesn't. Seem to have any lingering effects from, from the injury that he suffered last season, and he is part of the next crop of superstars in the NFL.
2: Meanwhile, while the Bengals would be the top seed, the Chiefs are the 11th seed right now in the AFC. They're in third place in the AFC West. Patrick Mahomes tied for the league lead in interceptions. Rex Ryan, why are the Chiefs such a mess? There's two things. Number one, that offensive line is awful. They,
4: they've given up more pressures than any the any team in the league. Guys don't, they don't even have to bring any, extra guys. Any team in the league. But their defense, their defense, like, hey, everybody, they did a great job stopping Derrick Henry. What? part of Derrick Henry running the football is the fact you got one-on-ones in on the outside and you didn't do anything to stop a you know the brown kid like it, it was a beatdown so Kansas City can't stop the run they can't stop the pass they, they can't generate a pass rush with a four-man rush if they send guys that can't cover anybody on the back end and, and so to me it, it looks like a dang disaster
2: Michelle the only team in the AFC that's allowed more points so far than the Chiefs is Miami Chiefs have allowed 203 Miami has has allowed 207 that says everything you need to know about what's ailing kansas city in addition to the fact that as rex mentioned their offensive line is terrible and mahomes has all the interceptions but spags defense just can't get it going
3: No, the defense is historically bad. The offensive line has not been great. And Patrick Mahomes has been able to be a Band-Aid for a lot of issues that the Chiefs have had prior. The defense was a question before. But when you have an organization and a team that has won a Super Bowl, had two appearances in a Super Bowl, they've won the AFC West every year since 2016, you just assume that they'll figure it out. You just assume that Patrick Mahomes, despite everything that the Chiefs are dealing with, will find a way to figure it out because we've seen him do it so many times, but I don't think even he can overcome this, and I think he has been part of the problem this year. Granted, a lot of it's not his fault. It's the circumstances around him, but, Randy, I don't know if they make the playoffs.
2: No, it's going to be hard for them, the way things are going right now.
3: <laughs>
2: a team that you can assume will not figure it out is the New York Jets, who have lost quarterback Zach Wilson for a couple of weeks with a PCL sprain, and they went out to get another quarterback Joe Flacco, their previous backup, is now back as their backup as they made a trade with Philadelphia so that Flacco can fill in for Zach Wilson. Talk about Inept. That is an inept organization.
3: Yeah, can you imagine being a Jets fan? (laughs) And, And Joe Flacco's the move. And no disrespect to Joe Flacco, but I just can't imagine that that is going to cause any excitement or relief amongst Jets fans. It has to be a very tortured existence to be a Jets fan.
2: And if there's ever a question about whether or not the NFL is fixed, Benny Cunningham, former Rams running back, suggested last year that he thinks the NFL is scripted. No league, if they're scripted, is going to have two franchises as bad as the Jets and the Giants in New York.
3: No, absolutely not. And don't you think they would have scripted the Rams to win the Super Bowl in the return to L.A.? So they would put butts in the seats there as well?
2: Yeah. That, uh, unfortunately, it used to be scripted, but it's not anymore. Um.
3: <laughs> Michelle, we,
2: we talked about Tua a little bit earlier. Uh, Tua tonga on the Deshaun Watson trade chatter. I want you to decode this for me. Quote, I do hear it. I just don't listen to it.
3: Okay, the decoder says, I hear it. I'm annoyed by it. I'm hoping that the rumors aren't true.
2: Yeah, he, he hears it clearly. He's listening to it. I think what he needs to say is, I hear it, but I am in uh, repression mode here. I'm going to just, <laughs> I, I'm going to not believe that this is happening to me. That the Dolphins would take this guy of all people to come in and replace me after I was their dream candidate, and they did tank for Tua.
3: Yeah, you think that he would stump for himself a little bit more. I appreciate that he's honest, that he's hearing the noise about Deshaun and about his future being in jeopardy in Miami, because. It, realistically, there's no way for him to avoid it. Even if he doesn't Google himself, even if he doesn't get on social media, it's everywhere. You can't get on your phone without seeing news about the Dolphins or Deshaun Watson and his his potential landing spots. But you're right, Randy. If I'm Tua, I'm, I'm sauntering into that press conference, and I'm saying – I don't feel like I've been given a fair shot. It seems like a ridiculous notion for a team to give up on me so early, especially for someone whose future is so murky. I have a spotless record. I I am a quarterback that could be the face of a franchise. You could put me on a billboard. I don't know if you could say the same about some other potential quarterbacks who are out there looking for a job. (laughs) I would play every card I had if I was Tua.
2: And Michelle, one more note here on NFL News and Notes. Bears head coach Matt Nagy announcing that he has tested positive for COVID 19. Alay Tioli. take it or leave it, this will have a negative effect on the Bears.
3: I'm going to leave it. I think it might have a positive effect on the Bears.
2: Yeah, he's kind of struggling. The game plans, the play calling, and he likes being the play caller, even though he turned it over to uh, Bill Lazor a few weeks ago. That team just does not appear to be exceptionally well coached. And I know that the head coach is, he's only the, the head of the snake, but he doesn't seem to have a staff that's doing really good things for him either.
3: No, I know he's still working remotely and he can return to the team after he has two negative tests at least 24 hours apart. So whether he's going to be with the team this weekend is still TBD, but. Maybe in his absence, they switch things up a little bit. If he's working remotely, maybe it does have a positive effect on them.
2: Those are your NFL news and notes on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, a huge statement win for the Illini over Penn State last weekend. We're going to talk to the Illinois head coach, Brett Bielman, next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. (laughs)
2: is the game winner from brandon peters and illinois has pulled off the road upset a statement victory for the fighting illini last saturday as they in nine overtimes knocked off penn state 20 to 18 with michelle smallman i'm randy Carricker, and we go to the brown group brown and crouppen celebrity line and illini head coach brett bielma kind enough to join us on a tuesday morning coach thanks
6: for your time this morning how you doing I'm doing good, Randy. Thank you very much. It was a good weekend, a lot of fun. Hopefully, more to come.
2: No doubt about it. You've been coaching. This is your 13th year as a head coach, and and I'm thinking, okay, as somebody who's watched a lot of football, I was really tight. I I, I was intense in that overtime. Do you get nervous there? How are how do you traverse something like that? Nine overtimes.
6: You know, um, it was interesting Saturday night. Uh, we're sitting there. Uh, Got back in town, we actually had a little celebration with the uh, basketball team, and and um, uh, we put our two girls down, and my wife was sitting there, and she's like, "I'm exhausted." I'm like, "You're, you're exhausted. <laughs> you were sitting here on the couch." Um, but but I would tell you the way the nine overtimes work now, and after the third one to go to the two point, it, it just it kept everybody engaged. The players, the the officials, um, uh, as coaches, you never sit, you know take a step back. Um, you know, as a head coach, especially, you're so far, you're always ahead of the game. Like one of the great. Greatest advice I ever got uh, from Coach Alvarez when I was under him as a head coach, just to be ahead of the game, right? Like, even though it's a two-point play for our offense, I was already talking to the defense about the two-point play to follow, right? So there's there's just no time to take a de- deep breath.
2: Coach, uh, how do you like that rule after the third overtime, once we get to a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, that it's a two-point conversion?
6: You know, Randy, it, it, it really, um, uh, it, it's different. So uh, while I was sitting there Saturday night, too, I saw a quote that, um, the, la- the-, the longest six overtimes in college football, um, I've actually been a part of three of those six, as crazy as that sounds. Um, we had a long one against uh, Ole Miss and a long one against Auburn when I was at Arkansas. Uh, fortunately, I've been able to won- win all three, so I feel a little bit better about all of them than probably the other side. But uh, this one just moved quicker, even though it was nine overtimes. You know, the last several were just two plays both ways, so it really limited the reps. Uh, But still, offensively, our guys had close to 100 snaps, which I think is just getting dangerously close to too many plays for a player. You know, Um, that's the only concern I really had was player safety in the end.
3: Coach, you mentioned getting home and celebrating with the basketball team and with your wife. I was actually in college when Illinois upset number one Ohio State in Columbus, and I remember what it was like when the team came home. What was the energy like in Champaign when your team arrived back after that massive win?
6: Well, it's pretty awesome. Um, we got off the plane and, and, uh, uh, someone on our, our staff, I still don't know who did this, uh, but, uh, all of our families were there and then quite a few fans as well. So it was kind of fun to hop off the plane and, and get a reception like that, especially, uh, my two girls, uh, waiting with, with Jen was pretty awesome. But then to, to walk into state farm and, and, uh, you know, Brad has that place as electric as it gets now. And I know it'd been over 500 days since anybody had been back in there with the team. So even though it was an exhibition game, um, uh, to have that kind of crowd uh, in there and to have the reaction was awesome. All of our players uh, opted to come over and join us. I would say 90% of our players were there. and It was just a really cool moment.
3: And not only was it in an incredible game, Coach, but it was your 100th victory as a head coach. I know you got the game ball from Josh Whitman, the AD, but that's a pretty special way to mark that milestone.
6: Yeah, you know, uh, Michaud, I appreciate that, but I hadn't even really – it crossed my mind. Some people had brought it up uh, before the Wisco game, but um, I, I didn't even—I don't think I even spoke of it one time during the course of the week, and really had no idea of it uh, until somebody said it after the game. I, I didn't have that uh, thought in my mind, but uh, you know, I told our players, "Like, listen, uh, this is the third one here for me here at Illinois, hundredth overall, but uh, hopefully it's a the start of a hundred more to come here." Like, I, I just can't tell you how excited we are about where this is, and, and I know everybody wants to live off Penn State, but. Uh, you know, to me, that's the that's going to be the more of the expectation, not the exception, um, and and to get our guys to understand that. Josh made reference. that I think it was only the third time in the last fifty years that we'd been a beat a top ten opponent on the road, and um, you know, to do it this at this point in in our new regime and and uh, the new opportunity we have in front of us. Hopefully, that's just more to come. And, and
2: Brett, I started this interview by saying it was a statement win for the Illini. It only becomes a statement win if you get it to where you want to go, right?
6: That's exactly right. And and I I did tell our players, right, um, you know, the, the moment there after the game, the celebration, uh, the fans that were there, uh, the celebration back in Champaign, and um, we're not going to ask Michelle what she did uh, that <laughs> night when I beat number one afterwards. But our, I know our players had, a, I'm sure, a great, uh, a great evening and celebration. But it, it was Sunday. We came in, and I, I actually cut short our, our meetings about the game against Penn State because I wanted to emphasize to turn the page to – the Rutgers, this is a very good football team that, uh, you know, unfortunately hasn't been able to get on top in a Big Ten win, but they're very well coached. They're very tough. Uh, they emulate a lot of the things that we're trying to instill in our program here. So uh, it's all great about what happened, but but the standard norm now has to be move on and let's get a, let's get what we got to get done here in Memorial Stadium this weekend, uh, Saturday at 11 o'clock in front of our home crowd.
3: There were so many impressive performances in that game, Coach. But I was really impressed by Brandon Peters. He was cleared to play last Tuesday. He didn't get a ton of reps during the week. He didn't get the start for that game. But he comes off the bench after Art was injured in a massive moment, and he delivers for your team.
6: You know, Michelle, you're exactly right. I think the part that uh, you know we we can take to the bank every week with BP is that you know he's had a lot of game experience. So even during the course of the week. Uh, we made the decision to go with Art. Um, uh, Ryan Johnson got a lot of the, of, of the number two rest. BP did get some work, but classic Brandon Peters. Um, Tuesday, I'm standing there at practice, and um, we're getting ready to go into a, a, a skelly period where the defense is working on one end and the offense is working on the other end. And he came up to me and goes, Coach, can I go down and throw the, the defensive skelly? Can I go down and emulate Penn State as the quarterback? And I just said, absolutely, my friend, and, and uh, went down there. And it might have been one of the biggest things that our defense was able to get done in their preparation, you know, just a selfless act. It seems like uh, the one thing this team possesses, we lost three starters offensively, uh, Vidarian Lowe, uh, obviously Arden, uh, Chase Brown during the course of the game, and it was just next man up syndrome, and they've done a great job all year at being resilient.
2: Hey, Brett, I know that you guys are always looking ahead, and I want to know, just because we don't get inside the curtain, behind the curtain, after a win like that, how quickly – do you get in touch with recruits and say, hey, did you see that? And do you have a plan for that? After a big win over Penn State, how quickly does a recruit hear from Illinois and the Illinois staff?
6: Yeah, it's a great point, uh, Randy. So one of the things that Josh afforded us to do here, Pat Hamilton, um, is my director of personnel, direct, really director of recruiting, uh, I got a small army of about six, seven people that uh, immediately took to social media, the graphics that we put out, um, you know, Chase Brown getting the recognition that he did yesterday as a Rose Bowl player of the week, the big 10 player of the week. Uh, obviously the team getting recognized as a national team of the week by cheese. It. like it just, just an endless outpouring And anything that I do. Believe me, I am not, the last thing I want to do is social media. Believe me. <laughs> all right. But the the part that I do realize and, and anything that I retweet is usually uh, garnered towards uh, two things, either, you know, respect to my players and, and what they've accomplished, um, you know, for chase Brown to, be standing on the field and have a Rose bowl emblem beneath them about the Rose bowl player of the week is like, to me, just like a a sign of where we want to go. Correct. But a lot of it is, is, is anything that I know a recruit. And even sometimes specifically, I may retweet uh, something publicly on my account, but I'll direct message that or or send it in a text to the recruit that I'm, I know will look, be looking at it or that it's directed at. Um, Obviously with the offensive line and what they accomplished this past weekend, Anybody that was on our radar, you know, definitely getting getting a lot of information. Running backs, um, the way our defense played, um, and even to parents. Right, a lot of times I'll group message in a, a young man with his mom and dad, or his uncle, or his coach, whoever's important to make them see the lights.
3: Coach, you you mentioned turning the page and um, getting ready for Rutgers this weekend. I imagine that's a pretty hard emotional high for your players to come down. So what are the conversations that you're having with your team to make sure that they don't get swept up in the Penn State game and that they're ready to go this weekend?
6: And so it's, it's really right human nature. Um, just like I said, you know, it's only been three times in 50 years to beat a top 10 on the road. Uh, Josh had never – our AD, right? He had never been exper- experienced it as the athletic director, so um, I knew it was foreign to him. I definitely knew it was foreign to our players. So, listen, I let them enjoy the you know the moment, the evening, the, the ride home. Uh, but Sunday, we took a, we took a pretty strong stance. And to this morning, I'm going to go into a, a team meeting here at 8:30, and I've got a message that uh, you know directs right at Rutgers and and to get their attention because the things I can not control, I can control what's in this building, but we only get them for two hours a day, two to three hours a day. Uh, the part that I don't you know have a handle on is you know when they go home, you know their their mom, their dad, their uncle, uh, their girlfriends their, their 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 close friends of high school that are calling them and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week, they're telling them how great they are. you know what We don't need a pat on the back, we need a kick in the, in, the, in, the, in the tail to get where we need to be, you know and that's that's kind of got to be our driving force. again it's it's the expectation around here that we want, not the exception.
2: Hey, Coach, one more thing from me, and it's in regards to implementing your program and having everybody understand. And I remember when Coach Vermeil came to the Rams, it, it took him a year to change the culture and get everybody to understand exactly what the program was about and, and what the expectations were, like you just mentioned. How close to that do, uh, are you? Do, having everybody, everybody on the staff, everybody in the building, all the way down through the players and the equipment guys, to having everybody understand what this is all about about that you're implementing
6: you know it's a great point you just made right it's everybody thinks it's about the players and it is Uh, but in college football you know players change right like um, tradition never graduates but players do Uh, and as we remove players uh, from the building by graduation and, and natural process the new players that come in have to be taught the same thing so it's it's constantly evolving for us as coaches but that's what staff is about, right? Um, Support staff. It's not just the coaches. It's what they're being told in the weight room, the equipment room, the training room, uh, the academics, what they're being told in in everyday walk in our, in our, our football, you know, family. And that, you know, unfortunately never stops, right? It's something that we're constantly on top of different ways to stress it, different mechanic uh, mechanics to make it happen. Um, It's part of the job that, that I really enjoy. And I think it's part of the job that, It's probably one of the more fulfilling things that you can accomplish. Saturday was a lot of fun, but when you see the emotional growth of a player um, and and the development that they have that will give them success way beyond their time here in Champaign, that's what's really exciting.
3: And I would think mental growth too, Coach, to go beat a top-10 team in a really tough road environment and outlast them and win the war of attrition. These are a lot of players who haven't been in a position like that before. So I would think you learned a lot about the mental toughness of your guys.
6: You're exactly right. Michelle. I, I would, I would say the the resiliency of that group, um, and and we stressed last week. We had 74 players take the plane, right? Um, you know, we got a number of uh, coaches and support staff, but 74 players were allowed to travel. And I told every one of them, "Hey, like I'm going to need the best you on Saturday, right? Like, doesn't matter what your role is. You might be the right guard on front. You might be the right guard on on our offensive uh, last play of the game that gave us the two point conversion to win. Uh, but both of those plays are going to be equally important and I think our players really understood that because you know, through 60 minutes and then nine overtimes, there wasn't a flinch in anybody in that group. and that's ultimately what gave us the win.
2: And to coach a home game against Rutgers, as you mentioned, you've got them at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning at Memorial Stadium, and that can turn into a great environment. This should be a really fun weekend for everybody that's headed to Champaign.
6: It is. I'm excited. Early kickoffs, so everybody get up a little early, and they may not have all the hours pre-tailgate, but hopefully – we have a little fun on Saturday and they can have some post tailgate fun as well.
2: Absolutely. Coach, thanks as always for your time. We appreciate it. Good to talk to you and we'll do it again soon.
6: Thank you. IOL.
3: I and I. Congrats, Coach.
2: That is Brett Bielma, the head coach of the Fighting Illini, joining us with Karakur and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Uh, uh, so, when that ended, what was it like for you?
3: I couldn't believe it. I couldn't (laughs) believe it. Randy, my phone was going nuts. I had to just sit there for a second and be like, they did it. They won that game. (laughs) Because as I just mentioned to Coach, this is a program that hasn't had a lot of moments like that over the past decade. And, I I mean, the last time was 2007, I believe, when they beat number one ranked Ohio State in Columbus. It's been a long time coming. And to think that Coach Bielma could get that done this early in his tenure and get get a signature win and get get a galvanizing win for this program And as you mentioned, what that could do for recruiting, it was just a a big wave of emotions. And I was incredibly proud of of my alma mater and of that team.
2: Hey, hey, Illinois, Iowa is going to be there every year. Minnesota, as long as P.J. Fleck is going to be there. Wisconsin has a terrific program. But I think Illinois very quickly can have a better program than Purdue, better program than Northwestern, better program than Nebraska. And they can be battling for a Big Ten championship. This guy's done it before. They can do it pretty darn quickly, although... He still have to deal with the Ohio States and Michigans of the world, but he's doing a really good job there. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, there was an interesting note that I thought came out of the Oliver Marmol press conference yesterday, and it actually came from John Mozalek,
0: and it's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: 806 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. As you heard the Oliver Marmol press conference to announce him as the new Cardinal manager yesterday, it was a pretty typical press conference when a manager is hired. We expect to win a World Series. I'm collaborative. I want to communicate with my players. But I thought off the bat, Michelle, the the most interesting aspect of the press conference took place, and it came from John
7: Moselock. Now, many of you, are still confused on why we are here in the first place. Perhaps our explanation on this was a bit vague, but it had to be made. So let me give you some details behind this. We had internal issues we felt we could not resolve. We felt the best path forward was to make a change for the organization, regardless if it was not a popular one. We did not take this lightly. As you can imagine, We gave this deep reflection and thought. But in the end, we had to make a change.
2: Michelle, he said it had to be made. He said, in the end, we had to make a change. He said it was a situation that the Cardinals could not resolve. And I'm listening to it, and then I listen to it again. It really makes it sound more ominous than I thought it sounded initially when they fired Mike Schilt.
3: Yeah, and we're piecing together the breadcrumbs that we've gotten, the, the comments that we've gotten from John Moselock, from Mike Schilt, from Bill DeWitt. Bill DeWitt acknowledged in the press conference announcing Mike Schilt's dismissal that it was an issue between Mo and his group and and the manager. So we know that it was directly involved with those two parties. And, and then to kind of double down and say that it had to be made knowing that John Mozeliak had previously acknowledged that this was something that happened quickly and 5 or 6 days after the Cardinals' season was over it and and then Randy, really, I keep thinking Mike Schilt was shocked by this so I don't I don't really understand how to put the puzzle together because you would think if it was one serious thing that happened that maybe Mike Schultz could have forecasted that this would be coming. And the fact that he was shocked by it leads me to, to believe that maybe there were differences, but that it wasn't one singular issue or something that popped up. So I think by Mo saying, yes, I was vague. Here's a little bit more on why we why we had to make this change. It invites more questions than it provides answers.
2: They want us, you, you say it, it, invites more questions. All we can do is speculate. And here is my speculation. I would suggest, especially because BK asked Oliver Marmol yesterday how his hitting philosophy aligned with Jeff Albert. And Marmol made it a point to say, we are aligned. My guess is that in that last meeting, that Friday after the season, that Mike Schilt said, hey, it's Jeff Albert or me. And the Cardinals decided, okay, well, it's Jeff Albert. And that's something that you, you can't resolve. It's one or the other. It's a decision that had to be made because you are keeping Jeff Albert. And if you keep Jeff Albert, you can't keep... Mike Schilt. That's, to me, the most logical scenario, because I don't think it was anything nefarious. It seems to me that it was a baseball decision, and clearly, Mo and his staff, they are all in on Jeff Albert. So, if Mike Schilt said it's him or me, that is a decision that has to be made, and it's something that you clearly can't resolve. You can't go back and say, are you sure it's either him or you? That's what I'm thinking. That's my speculation.
3: And I know that down the stretch, the Cardinals obviously went on an historic run. The offense showed a lot of improvement. It seemed like uh, certain players, especially young guys like Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, were really clicking. So I understand why the Cardinals would have more confidence in the Jeff Albert approach, given what we saw at the end of the season. But when Olimar Mall says yesterday that the philosophies are aligned, but that he also believes there are areas of messaging that will improve upon. That harkens back to what John Moselak told us earlier this season when the Cardinals offense was stagnant, that the messaging might not have been correct for a certain player. So if after the season, even despite the success, you're still saying that the messaging needs to be improved upon. That's a little bit of a red flag to me.
2: And I wonder if they bring in another voice, another voice that is aligned with their philosophy, but that can help players better understand this high level curriculum you already have joe bell you already have uh, jeff albert now you have oliver marmal in the mix as a voice maybe you bring in another voice that perhaps can relate that message relay that message better to the players
3: but if you're going to all of these lengths to make this message translate. At what point do you adjust the message period? If it's not computing with the players, and clearly some guys it, it, it has clicked, but if, as, if you're taking a holistic approach to this as, as a team as a whole, and you're still concerned about messaging at this point of this experiment, m- maybe it's not the messaging, maybe it's the subject matter.
2: That could be, but clearly, The people in the Cardinal front office, and this is, again, all speculation that was invited by Mo, but clearly they are all in and they're seeing what they perceive is the desired product from the Jeff Albert philosophy, not only at the major league level, but a lot of guys succeeded at the minor league level with this philosophy, too. The Cardinals clearly like where they're headed offensively with Jeff Albert as their hitting coach and the guy who's implementing their philosophy offensively. That is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head into the Blues booth, the 5-0 Blues booth, with Darren Pang of Valley Sports. He's next on 101 ESPN. We are right back
0: to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And joining us in the Blues booth, as he does every Tuesday morning, is Darren Pang of Valley Sports and the Blues 5-0. and 0, And Panger and J.K. and the gang at Valley having a lot of fun. Panger, good morning. How are you doing?
8: Good morning, uh Randy. yeah, we are having a lot of fun it's always uh hey listen it's always great uh, going to the rink knowing your team's got a chance to win and knowing that uh, they're putting on a you know a real good show and trying hard and and uh, even last night, hey Randy, it was you know, that's, a, that's an even game for a long time and and uh, a team that maybe didn't have the wherewithal or the mental you know toughness might have let that slip away, but the Blues found a way to to pull it out and, and to go five and to start the year.
3: Panger speaking of fun it's been so fun watching Vladimir Tarasenko we're seeing shades of vintage Vladdy here and he's playing right now like a man on a mission
8: we are seeing that that part of his game and I, I, you know I remember like it was yesterday the way the way he broke on you know onto the scene and I remember that first game that he played against Detroit, man, his first two shots on goal were goals and they were electrifying. I remember him going up in Madison Square Garden and scoring one of the most beautiful goals I've seen. And, um, you know, I think with with the surgeries and and maybe with a lack of confidence because of that and and whatever was going on, um, he just wasn't the same following the Stanley Cup win. And, um, and you know, now we've, we're seeing a player now, it looks like he, when he jumps onto that ice, he's got that look in his eyes. He, he's, uh, on the bench. He's been a really good teammate. You know, he's been really supportive and, uh, uh, there's a, there's energy and I, and you know, and I. You know, I, I, again, I guess I, we can't dive too deep into it, but a lot of things happened, a lot of things were said, and and uh, and it's a, it's a funny team sport. Like once you're in and you're part of a team, you've you've got to give it everything you've got, and you've got to make sure that your teammates know you're you're all there, and that. Guys have been saying that from the beginning of training camp that hey, there's nothing, nothing really has changed much. He's been a really good teammate and he's, uh, and he's trying hard. And well, well, last night was a good example of a, of a, of a player that can break a game wide open. And that's what separates players like Flatty uh, from from other guys in the league. They. Uh, You know, it's just that one shot, that one flick of the wrist and and bang, a 0-0 game turns into 1-0 and then another shot 2-0 and thanks for coming and we're you know, you're into two points. So good for Vladdy. I'm really happy for him and I know he was was pretty excited last night.
2: Panger, we're all enamored of the fact that the Blues lead the conference with 25 goals, but nobody has allowed fewer either. 11 goals uh, against by the Blues. Beyond the play of the goalies, why is the Blues goal suppression so
8: good so far? Mm, Yeah, you're I mean really, and it could be few it could be fewer goals against when you mm-hmm. really look at it. I think they you know they kind of hung their bidding it out to dry a couple of times on that road trip because uh, he was outstanding um I, I you know i I think that the d as a whole is is more focused on the five man unit i think we we probably all got caught up um into the Stanley Cup winning team and the ingredients that were behind that, and you know uh, whether it be Petrangelo, whether it be Joel Edmondson, or or, or Jay Bealmister, those are long sticks. Those are big bodies. Those are really good defenders, and uh, and things change along the way. So. I like the fact that the team, Randy, has, has focused more on, on five-man units. I think they're tighter down low. I think our centermen are doing a phenomenal job in helping out. And, uh, and a healthy Colton Preko doesn't hurt either. I mean, this is a way different guy than last year where he was really laboring and it was really painful to watch with, the, with how injured he was last year trying to play through it.
3: Billy Huso-Panger with 34 saves for his second career shutout last night. What were you seeing from Billy last night?
8: I, he was just rock solid. Um, you know, right off the bat, he wasn't under siege. It wasn't like he had a lot of quality shots right away. I thought the guys did a great job of keeping L.A. to the outside. And, you know, he's a good angle goaltender. He's um, he, he, he's really good. When he gets set in his position and the shots are from the outside, I mean, we watch him practice nearly every day, and he's he's, he's hard to beat that way. The other part I liked about it was, L.A. Was, was fairly good down low, and they had several wraparound attempts. And I, I thought he was really good at reading those plays and um, quieted things down. And Craig Berube told us that before the game. I, I, I don't need Villy to keep the puck moving, and we can take a faceoff because we're good at that. So I thought he did a really good job of that in slowing, slowing some of that down and not making one of those mental errors, just trying to keep the play alive.
2: It seems like after the injury-plagued year that Robert Thomas had last year, that he seems to be back on that ascending Path that he was on a couple of years ago.
8: I, I would agree with that. I think this is the way he started the season last year. Um, really confident, had a great camp. Uh, I, you know, I know us, the broadcasters that kind of hunker around there and watch. We're all kind of, you know, putting our money on what pony. And it was like, <laughs> ooh, Robert Thomas is going to have an unbelievable year. And then, you know, you know if there was. One thing after another, it, it just—he got halted. Whether it was an injury or just a lack of confidence or down on himself. Um, but, uh, but you know, this year he starts it out again, and, and he's been phenomenal, just phenomenal. Um, and I like the fact that you know that that line—you I, I, can call it one, two, three, or four. I, I don't care what you call it. I call it a really good line. When Barbashev's working as hard as he works, uh, and, and and you know, and, and now every single shift, you know, Vladdy Tarasenko is, is working hard for his teammates. He's battling for pucks there's some chemistry there and uh what makes that line so dangerous is that craig berube can get a lot of matchups whether it's at home or on the road and you know last night it happened a few times that th- I, th- I didn't think the third line for for la um you know could match up against them and and sure enough they you know I-, I thought craig did a great job too but um that that's one of the best you know so far what i've seen it's one of the best lines in hockey let alone uh, if you ca- want to call it a third line
3: David Perron with his sixth goal of the season, that's a team high. And it's, he's been so impressive this season, Panger, but he was nursing that injury that almost caused him to miss the opener. It, it just seems like he's aging like a fine wine.
8: Yeah, he is. I call him a 1988 uh, Chateau Perron. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and he likes wine, so thats it's, it's okay. He's okay with that. Um, yeah, it, it, is, it is something, isn't it? Um, you know, Uh, certain players, I I don't know, they they make their adjustments. I mean, I think there was a time not long ago that many observers and probably many pro scouts wondered, you know, where David Perron was heading. And, you know, he did a – there's a number of things that he did to change his game, and he and I have spoken about this many, many times. There was an assistant coach in Pittsburgh, Rick Tockett, that's now over at TNT, um, who really worked with him on his shot – uh, on changing his stick a little bit, uh, then he went over to the Vegas Golden Knights, and, and Jonathan Marchessault was his buddy, and Jonathan convinced him to, to change the flex in his stick, change the length of the, change the curve of it, and and I do believe that that those those things, ha- I mean, I don't I don't know, put him in a better spot, put him, I mean, put him to where he is right now. Now, obviously, he's a talented kid, and he's got some great hockey sense, but you know, there's things along the way that he also made adjustments to stay relative. Um, and Relevant, I think so in the league. Like I think he, he did it himself. So now here we have a guy that has great chemistry with Ryan O'Reilly, has great confidence. The coach leans on him. I think Craig Baruby's given him a lot of confidence as well. And so all that now you've got to, now you've got some grapes that are just uh, uh, about to head into the bottle. And I think he's got what he's probably got four or five really good years left in him, and that's that's saying an awful lot
2: and panger when you look at that line without brandon sod when everybody's healthy and back butch came back last night the best thing that you can have on a hockey team or on, a, on any athletic team is competition for playing time that's what everybody wants and the blues will have a lot of good players competing for not as much playing time won't they
8: Well, that's, that's just a fact. I mean, you know, and things happen. I mean, there's, you know, injuries happen along the way and, you know, one injury, you know, to, uh, to a player opens up the door and, um, you know, like Kyle Clifford had the door opened up and he stepped in there and, you know, played really well, um, you know Jake Neighbors hasn't taken his foot off the off the pedal, and uh, you know, and that's not allowing anybody else to jump in. Um, we've got guys in the minors that uh, probably were shocked that he, they went through waivers and are ended up in the American mm-hmm. Hockey League. So yes, very very deep club. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing sod you know, on that on that line and then Clem Coston will have to fight his way and claw his way for, for another opportunity, whether it be on the fourth line or being out of the lineup and that waiting again for that opportunity. But you know, the Blues are as deep as any team in the National Hockey League. Um, um and, and can do you know, they can play the game any which way you, you want to play the game, and I think that's the impressive part about it.
2: Hey, Panger, before we let you go, uh, and the Blues have a couple of home games, they have Colorado and Chicago coming up, but on November 14th, Edmonton is in town, and we've all been waiting for the Oilers to supplement Dreisaitl and McDavid, and Ken Holland and Dave Tippett appear to have done that. They're off to a 5-0 and start, just like the Blues, and I know that you keep an eye on every team. How excited are you to see those two players now being supplemented by some depth in Edmonton?
8: Yeah, Zach Hyman came over from Toronto, and he's still just in the prime of his career. So it was a, you know, it was a lengthy contract, but uh, but for right now, he's a, he's a good player, and he's complemented them really, really well. So, yeah, they're they're not, they you know, they're, I mean, let's face it, they're they're those are two terrific players. Um, and and the challenge is is having, you know, multiple lines that can go up against them, and you know, you know. Be real focused in a defending role. But, you know, I like the way they play. I think that would be exciting. If you consider the way, you know, our home opener was against L.A. and how exciting that was back and forth, then you can imagine what it'll be like going up against uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl.
2: Okay, I think I know the answer to this. Right now it's 41 degrees in St. Louis. Is today a golf day for Darren
8: Pang? Oh, there's no question about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured that would be the case. You, you can tough it out. You're, you are not a weather
8: wuss like I am, Panger. Long underwear, you know, a good, 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 couple of good layers and off and running. Have
2: a great day. Thanks so much for the time. Always good to hear your voice.
8: Yeah, thanks, guys. Take care.
2: See you later. That's our friend and blues analyst on Bally Sports Midwest, Darren Pang, joining us on Carricker and Smallman. Coming up, another edition of
0: The Fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character.
3: It's Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is 8.36, that time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, which means it's time for the fight. Randy's challenger today is Adir. Good morning, Adir, how are you?
1: Good morning, Michelle, I'm doing great. How are you doing?
3: I'm um, awesome, thank you for asking. Are you ready to take on Randy Carricker, AKA Mega Mine, this morning? You know it. Awesome, all right, well, let's jump right in. Question number one for Adir. Don Denkinger called which player safe on the controversial play at first base during game six of the World Series on this day in 1985? Was it Lonnie Smith, George Brett, or George Orta?
1: It two years before I was born, but I've seen the highlight many a time. I am going to go with Lonnie
0: Smith.
5: On this day in 2009, Mark McGuire agreed to join his former manager, Tony La Russa, on the Cardinals bench as the team's hitting coach, replacing who? Was it Mitchell Page, Hal McRae, or Mike Eastler? Uh,
1: Mitchell Page.
3: Question number three, the World Series begins tonight with Atlanta's Jack Peterson looking to win his second World Series in a row, this time with a new team. Who was the last player to win back-to-back World Series with two different teams? Was it Ben Zobrist, Mookie Betts, or Jake Peavy?
1: I'm going to go with Mookie
0: Betts.
5: And who won the 2021 Golden Spikes Award, recognizing the top amateur baseball player in the United States based on their athletic ability, sportsmanship, character, and overall contribution to the sport? Was it Arkansas's Kevin Copps, Vanderbilt's Jack Leiter, or Vanderbilt's Kumar Rocker?
1: I am going to go with Kumar Rocker.
3: All right. We're checking our score here. Emily and I are waving Randy in. He's going to be here in a second. Confidence check, a deer. How you feeling?
1: You know, I was feeling a little more confident going in, and then you know, you get Randy's voice in your head and his wisdom base, and it's all gone down the toilet. I got to be honest with you.
3: I understand because all you hear is all I do is win. You're hearing just win, baby. You're hearing exactly. the sound bites that Randy plays, <laughs> taunting you. Inside your head.
1: head, yep.
3: He does. He does. He plays the mental game. Uh, Randy's got his headphones on. He's joined us back in the studio. Randy, say good morning to a deer.
2: Adir, how are you doing this morning?
1: Randy, it's awesome to hear your voice. As a kid who grew up in St. Louis in the 90s and early aughts, it is an honor to get to
3: challenge you in this game.
2: That is very, very nice of you to say. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I appreciate uh, you listening for all these years. Absolutely.
3: Randy, are you ready? I'm ready. Question number one, Don Denkinger called which player safe on the controversial play at first base during Game 6 of the World Series on this day in 1985?
2: Wow, it was this date, huh? It mm-hmm. was George Orta. On Actually, p- he called a lot of players safe at first, but on the most notable call of the night, it was George Orta.
5: Good, Good point. Yeah. <laughs> I did put (laughs) controversial play, though. (laughs) On this day in 2009, Mark McGuire agreed to join his former manager, Tony La Russa, on the Cardinals bench as the team's hitting coach. Replacing who?
2: Mm, Who was that? I get my... They they have been through so many guys. I think... I think they got rid of Hal McRae after a season. They fired guys during a season. Mitchell Page was a during-season guy. And McCray did not work on a Matheny staff. So I am going to go with Hal McCrae.
3: Question number three, Randy, the World Series begins tonight with Atlanta's Jock Peterson looking to win his second World Series in a row, this time with a new team. Who was the last player to win back-to-back World Series with two different teams?
2: Mm, Okay, good one. Last player to do that. Um, I'll do the lifeline here. I think I'll be able to narrow it down.
3: Ben Zobrist, Mookie Betts, Jake Peavy.
2: Okay, Peavy did it. Well, Zobrist did it. 16 15, uh, Cubs, Royals. Peavy did it before that, 14 13, Giants in 14, Red Sox in 13. Who is the other? Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts. Uh, Did he do it back to back? 18 with the Red Sox, but not 19. Uh, because that was the Nationals and then 20 obviously was the Dodgers so I'm going to go with it being Ben Zobris 15 with the Royals 16 with the Cubs
5: and last question who won the 2021 Golden Spikes award recognizing the top amateur baseball player in the U.S. based on their athletic ability sportsmanship character and overall contribution to the sport 2021 yes most recent
2: um i'm gonna go with uh i'll go with one of the vanderbilt guys i guess i'll go with jack lighter
3: all right did a deer take down randy after listening to him all of these years was he able to take randy down in the fight emily let him know
0: a winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker.
8: Brought to you by Optical Expressions, providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since nineteen ninety-seven. All
9: I do is win, 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 no
3: matter what. Dear, you knew that was coming. You you had it in your oh, head, knew you knew it. it was coming.
1: Yep, I felt it in my
3: bones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, A dear Randy Beecher, three to nothing. Three to nothing. Randy was on his game today. So Don Deckinger called George Orta safe on the controversial play at first base during game six of the World Series, which happened on this day in nineteen eighty-five. On this day in two thousand nine, Mark McGuire agreed to join Tony Laruta on the Cardinals bench as the hitting coach. He replaced Hal McCray, who was with the team from two thousand five to two thousand nine. The last player to win back-to-back World Series with two different teams was Ben Zobrist, 2015 and 2016. He was with the Royals and then the Cubs. And the player that won the 2021 Golden Spikes Awards was Kevin Copps from Arkansas, even though Randy uh, Jackleiter was one of the options. I but gone it was with Kevin Copps of Arkansas. Adir, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We hope you have a great day. Thank you so much. You
2: guys too. Thanks, Adir. Appreciate it. And uh, thank you very much for all the loyal listenership just win baby <laughs> there we go coming up David Perron joins us as he does every
0: week on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN we are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN that's Michelle Smallman I'm Randy Carricker, and
2: we go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line for our weekly visit with blues forward David Perron good morning sir how you doing Doing good. How about you? Everything's great. Hey, we're, we're happy here. We're all smiling because the Blues are 5-0. and You've got more goals than any team in the Western Conference. You've allowed fewer than any team in the Western Conference. What has caused this Blues dominance in the first five games?
10: Uh, well, I think the attitude for sure coming into camp was uh, was definitely right. I think the guys put in the work over the summer. The coaches were really motivated to for us to kind of grab our level that. We expect out of ourselves, uh, obviously, to grab it back and, and consistently. And so far, so good. And uh, I think we can still uh, improve in little details too. Uh, close out games, uh, even though we've closed them all out, but at times that we we let in some some goals that we shouldn't even get to. And uh, so yeah, there's still some stuff to work on.
3: Well, David, you've had an unbelievable start despite having that injury that you've been dealing with. And I was talking to Darren Pang earlier. I said, you're aging like a fine wine. It just seems like you're getting better with age. But I know you give a lot of credits to your teammates. So what's it like to be consistently paired with somebody like Ryan O'Reilly and have that chemistry with him? How much of your teammates been contributing to your success?
10: Yeah, well, they're, they're everything, obviously. Uh, I think definitely O'Reilly at five-on-five, five power play stuff, the way he works on the ice, the way he's positioned is, uh, I don't know, we just click on the ice uh, in a way that uh, I haven't really many times in my career with any other guy, so it's a special connection. It's fun to have. It seems like um, he, he always knows what I want to do with the puck, and I try to do the same thing, vice versa. I also think a guy like Tory Krug on the power play has helped me a lot. He's We're talking consistently. He's done a lot of good things. And uh, definitely without those guys, uh, I'm definitely not having the same personal success.
2: You you mentioned Tory Krug. And uh, I I think sometimes those of us that don't play hockey think that, okay, a guy just can be plugged into a, a hockey team and there's going to be immediate chemistry. But in observing the game for a lot of years, it just doesn't work that simply, does it?
10: Yeah, it's, it's definitely harder than, uh, than it looks. Uh, and, and a lot of times, too, when you get those big guns coming in, you just expect things to click in because they're good players, and that's going to a little bit harder even at times uh, for that reason. Like I was saying that before, like two years ago, we had a power play going with Petro. Um, last year, we kind of had with Vladi out, we kind of had Krug coming in. We had Mike Hoffman coming in. It took us a while to get going. This year, we got Vladi back on our unit. So there's always adjustments we need to make. It's not easy, and, and obviously our, our power play has been clicking early on in the season. We want to keep that going, and you never know when it slips, so we got to keep working at it.
3: Speaking of Vladdy, David, we asked you about him last week, and you said, I hope I don't get asked about Vladdy every week. <laughs> I knew you know, that, this but I it's get in, asked today. Yeah, exactly, of course, because if he keeps playing the way he's playing, you're going to get asked about him after every single game. He looks like vintage Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah.
10: Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's great to see. I think uh, in Vegas, the in night he had a super, like great night, uh, a lot of shots on net, find a way to score the game-winning goal. I think it gave him confidence. Um, made some some good plays uh, two nights ago uh, one on one of my goals, especially just taking the ice to the middle, really freezing the goaltender, freezing everyone, kind of fighting it over for for one timer. And obviously yesterday, just kind of those two goals. Uh, great individual plays really to put, put the team on his back there when uh, the game was kind of just uh, we, we, we had a really good night before it was 0-0 nothing was really going they were playing really well defensively and obviously uh, those two plays were incredible and that's what he does like I, I remember he had a similar game against Dallas in the playoffs when we won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago um, I think O'Reilly and I were playing with him and not much was going on he had that that goal going around the goal, the defenseman and, and around the goalie. And he's, uh, he's been known to do, do that. So it's great to see.
2: David Braun joining us on one oh one ESPN. And David, last night you get the empty net goal. And in the second, first game of the season, you allow the, the two uh, sixth attacker goals to Colorado. Uh, d- number one, do you guys practice that the, when you're facing a sixth attacker? And is it much different than the PK?
10: uh well actually this year we've changed some stuff on our pk and our five on six um and definitely it takes some time to, to get used to new stuff but i, I really like it I, I think we've been working at it we've talked about it in video sessions as well and uh i it's a situation i take a lot of pride in going obviously the goal yesterday is not something i wasn't trying exactly to do that it worked out perfectly and <laughs> confidence-wise, it's always good for, for those to go in at times just because it keeps your kind of, your mojo going. You want to keep kind of finding the back of the net. and it's great. And uh, it's also great to have a confidence from the coaching staff to be able to go out there and, and be able to get the job done. So um, definitely on their on personal side, it's, it's awesome to be out there in those situations and we we keep working on it. I think it's uh, the coaches have done a good job to to get us prepared and we're only going to get better from here.
3: David, I want to go back to this weekend. What was it like to be back at home at Enterprise Center? It was a packed house. You get a hat trick. There's hats raining down on the ice. The fans are going nuts. After having a year plus of situations where you weren't in an environment with energy like that, what was that like for you?
10: Yeah, I mean, it's a super cool moment, I think, for all of us. I think even yesterday for Billy Uso to get his first shot out, I think, really in front of a crowd. Uh, he had a great game. I think... All the boys were extremely excited to, to just even skate on and warm up and have having that vibe, having that vibe of, of people just excited to be in the rank um, as things keep getting back to normal. So, definitely, it's one of the biggest things and the biggest reason why we love playing the game. Um, we, we definitely love everything about the NHL, but without the fans, I think we all realize it wasn't the same. Um, and, and I think, if anything, hockey is a sport that the life plays even more important than than watching on tv like any other sport really so it's uh it's pretty cool and just being home
2: after the veil trip and after the road trip and by the way that was one of your longest trips if not your longest trip of the year for a family guy like you it's got to be nice to be home like you are for a week and a half here
10: yeah no it was awesome it was awesome to have uh our kids uh just like in warm-ups all the kids were kind of there in the corner uh cheering on their dads i guess and uh it was uh no it was it was unbelievable like you said the, the trip uh i i think when you look at it in july and you say oh, let's go to veil that preseason it's gonna be a great time everyone's excited and then you get to it and it's like wow it's gonna end up being a long trip here so i'm, I'm glad we started three and on the road we're five and oh now we're, we're looking to keep building
3: And, David, I read a quote from Robert Thomas after the game last night, and he said we're playing for each other, we're working for each other. It seems to be a different line stepping up every night, and it's good to see. And just as an observer watching the game, it really does seem like you guys have this great team unity and that you all are pulling the rope the same way so early on.
10: Yeah, well, it's important. I think, if anything, last year we missed a little bit of that aspect playing for a team playing for each other, and those are are details that maybe fans don't see all the time, but changing, blocking shots, uh, just, I don't know, always helping your teammate out in, in any way you can, really supporting him, talking on the ice, talking even from the bench if someone's about to hit you and you're close to the bench. A lot of times... Uh, you know that the guy's coming, but in case he doesn't, just, just yell it out. Like, talk to him, whatever, and you can help out at different times, and that's what it is. That's what's pulling the rope. That's what's playing for each other, and so far so good, and that's uh, definitely something that's uh – the coaches have been harping on every single day. There's signs in the room about it and uh we got to keep doing that.
2: One of the things we love about David Braun is your unending honesty when you join us. Your next two home games here David, the Avalanche and the Blackhawks. Biggest rival for you, Avalanche or Blackhawks?
10: Oh yeah, well I, th- I think because of last year, definitely uh, Colorado. I, I also think also uh, the last uh, few years with the Avalanche having such a good team competing against us uh, in playoff spots, all that stuff. And let's not get ourselves. I think the Blackhawks aren't far behind uh, the moment they find their game. They can be dangerous at any time. They'll be looking to... To start turning their season around so it's going to be two good games definitely but at this point i would say colorado
2: hey i want to ask you one more thing david and that's about a start like this is your day-to-day demeanor when you go through your day and you're with your family is it different when you're five and zero as opposed to like when you're two two and one
10: well it's i think it's just easier it's lighter to come to rank you're you're expected to work when you go to rank but at the same time you just kind of feel good about yourself, about the team. You know you, you can keep improving. I think as I get older, I wouldn't say my demeanor changes a lot when I'm at the house, but definitely I think it's uh, it's nice to stay even keeled. Like, you don't want to get too high either. It's it's a great start. There's many things that can happen here. Um, but, yeah, like, definitely it's a, it's a better feeling than being two and two and one or whatever.
2: And enjoy these couple of days off and then go get them against the Avalanche and then this weekend against Chicago. Always good to hear your voice, David. Thanks so much for the time.
10: Thank you. I appreciate it. Talk to you next week. Thank you.
2: Take care. That is Blues winger David Perron. Six goals already this season. He is off and running, as are the Blues.
3: I'm not surprised that he said the bigger rival was Colorado, based on on the battles that those two teams have had over the past few years.
2: If I get swept by somebody in the playoffs, I'm ticked at them. And until I vanquish them, they're going to be my biggest rival. All due respect to the Blackhawks rivalry. (laughs) And I think for us as fans, because we have to deal with Blackhawks fans trying to take over our building, they seem to be bigger. But right now, from a team standpoint, what's happening on the ice, the Avalanche are. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, more on the Cardinals hiring of Ali Marmol. And by the way, Ali Marmol will join Danny Mac and BK coming up at 1030 here on 101 ESPN. But we've got more on his press conference yesterday and what we expect him to do for the Cardinals. That's next on
0: 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: 9.03 in Time Check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's Michelle, I'm Randy, and we want to remind you again that Oliver Marmol will join Danny Mac and BK at 10.30. He was introduced as the cardinal manager yesterday. And Michelle, when Whitey Herzog... Joe Torrey, Tony Larusa, Mike Schilt were all hired by the Cardinals. They were all right around 50. Mike Matheny was 44 years old. Oliver Marmol was drafted in 2007 by the Cardinals. Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina were already playing Major League Baseball when he was <laughs> drafted by the Cardinals. By the way, interesting note that I think was interesting at least, and I tweeted this yesterday. Tony LaRussa started his managerial career on August 2nd of 1979. Oliver Marmal was born on July 2nd of 1986. So <laughs> uh, Oliver Marmall was born about seven years after Tony La Russa started his major league managerial career. And I-, I asked him yesterday about the fact that he is so much younger than players
1: that are playing for him and how he goes about leading guys like that. Great question. Um, and, and- the way I look at that, I've never thought of my my age as something that has an impact on whether have more negative. I think when, when it comes down to leadership and just overall, um, having the respect of that clubhouse, a, a couple things come to mind. Um, and, and for me, that's if the player knows that you care, if the player knows that you're prepared and you have your thoughts organized when you approach them and you can make them better, they listen to you. Um, and on the other hand, if, if you're not prepared, if they know you don't care and you're more worried about yourself than them um, and you can't get them better, they don't listen to you. So for me, age isn't an, an impediment there. It's just a matter of preparation, organization, and making sure that you're intentional, that every time you have a conversation with one of them, that you know exactly how you want them to experience conversation and walk out of the room knowing. If you do that well, you earn their respect. And uh, it takes a while to earn that and you can lose it pretty quickly. Um, So leadership for me is more about the intentionality behind that more than just the age. Yeah. Okay, great.
2: Michelle, they need to know how much you care before they care how much you know.
3: Great point, and I thought that that was a perfect answer by Ali Marmol, and he's absolutely right. A manager could be 20 years older than the oldest player on the team, and if he doesn't communicate well or if he's not intentional in his approach or he's not prepared, a player could lose respect for someone older than him just as quickly as he could lose respect for someone younger than him. So I think Ali Marmol brings up a great point. I also will never forget, Randy, one of our conversations with Adam Wainwright during the season. I asked him what it was like to have veteran guys like Jay Happ and John Lester join the team and if he had learned anything from having guys who were his age peers join the team and he was like I learned from every guy on our team I learned from Jack Flaherty I learned from a lot of young guys on the team and he's like you never stop learning Michelle you're always constantly trying to learn something new from someone and get better and I think that that's the approach that guys like Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina are going to take from Ali Marmol they know him. They know what he's going to bring to the table. Also, he's 35. He's in their, their same bracket, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're filling out a questionnaire, if you're checking a box, 35 to 45 is usually a box. So he's in the same box. It's not like he's 21.
2: And it's almost like in baseball now, a manager is more like a coworker that just kind of oversees the clubhouse rather than the guy who really, like Whitey Herzog, putting – Todd Worrell or Ken Daly into right field and then having the other one uh, pitch and then taking Daly out and bringing Worrell back in from right to pitch. Managing like that doesn't happen anymore. It's more about, for Oliver Marmol, interpersonal skills.
1: I honestly think that's one of the most important parts of the, of the job um, is being able to communicate clearly with your staff and the players, but the front office and, and all the other departments, I think uh, with as much as we have as far as resources with with the growing departments, you, your ability to communicate clearly um, is key. Um, and it's something I, I pride myself in and being able to um, be a good listener, be observant. Um, actually, hear what people are saying in order to fulfill what what they're asking, um, and being able to hear what the players want as well. Um, there's a this gig involves issues; it just does uh, with staff, with players, um, and your ability to do that in a way where it's not personal, where you're actually. Um, Looking at it from the standpoint of, like, what is possible for you if we get this right um, is the key to this. So when you ask about just overall communication skills, that's something that uh, I'm looking forward to, to doing well.
2: Do you get the sense that at least with him, he's more of a mental coach than a physical coach?
3: At least right now, I was very impressed with him and his presser yesterday. He seemed very confident, very poised, and he got his messaging across very clearly. He answered questions very thoroughly. He was he was very good with with details and handling the media. So I would have no question that he's probably a guy that has really good interpersonal relationships on the team. And at, at this stage of the game and where baseball is headed, isn't that what most organizations are looking for in a manager? Is someone that can relate to the players and that. That can manage each individual person rather than just one holistic approach to managing. Everyone has to be managed the same way. Isn't that what we're seeing now, especially with young people all throughout the country and any walk of life in any profession is that you need to tap into the individual strengths of people and clearly communicate with them.
2: And Michelle, you look around baseball and we've all read and or seen Moneyball where Billy Bean was making out the lineup for Art Howe. We see last year in the World Series where... It was an organizational decision for Kevin Cash to take Snell out of the game in the sixth inning of the World Series. Dave Roberts admitted last week, I have one vote before they went with Corey Knebel as an opener. And that's the way organizations operate. But John Mozeliak, he strikes back against that narrative for the Cardinals.
7: I think that's being unfairly mischaracterized for sure. I feel like... Um You know when you look at our front office do we try to be progressive yes do we try to use current tools that are available to make our decisions yes um but i also feel and and i think ollie could attest to this that we do give the clubhouse some autonomy and how they think about decisions and and how they make decisions so i think that narrative that we've been reading a lot about or hearing a lot about is not accurate again i know that we've been a little vague on, on the details of this But as I stated uh, earlier, this is really about Ollie. I I think this is uh, an exciting day for the Cardinals. And uh, I really want to embrace that moment.
2: Michelle, when you look at the success that teams like the Rays and the Dodgers have had, it's not a completely bad thing for the front office to participate for somebody like me who grew up witnessing quality baseball and seeing Whitey and Joe Torrey and Tony it's different, but I do think analytics are a great tool. And if you are going to make the decisions as a front office for your manager, clearly it's working for other franchises. I just uh, I hope that everybody can. And Ali gave the impression yesterday that everybody is on the same page. I hope that everybody can be collaborative and understands what's going on, that the right hand knows what the left hand is doing.
3: I think you just hit on the key word there, Randy, and that's collaborative, because even though John Moselak expressed yesterday that you hire a manager to manage and that Oligemar Mall is going to be given that freedom to manage, also several times yesterday, it was brought up that this is a collaborative effort. And I think that that's the key word there, is that he's going to be given uh, the chance to put his fingerprints on things, but when it comes down to it, there's more than one voice that's going to be contributing to making a lot of key decisions.
2: So we'll watch this unfold during the course of the season. I'll be interested to see, A, if they give Marmol the number of good players and pitchers that Kevin Cash and Dave Roberts are given and the A's guys and Gabe Kapler in San Francisco, if he has enough guys to be able to do what those franchises do. And I think that we'll be able to tell whether or not – the decisions that are made are front office decisions or manager decisions because I really thought in the second half, I think you agree with me that Mike Schultz took more ownership of the way the team went about its business in terms of running the bases in terms of their approach offensively it appeared that he took more ownership of that in the second half of
3: 2021 I think he did or at least he did publicly and um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that as well. I'll be really interested to see what characteristics we see out of an Ali Marmol-led team, what the identity is going to be out of an Ali Marmol-led team. Because with Tony LaRusso, you knew what you were going to get. With Mike Schilt, as he developed as a manager, you knew you were going to get sound fundamentals. You knew you were going to get relentless positivity. There, there were certain characteristics that came to the forefront. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Ali Marmol is going to bring to the table that's going to be different than Mike Schilt, which is someone that he worked with. Worked with and lockstep for so long
2: that's today's big thing that's michelle i'm randy it's
0: 101 espn next up stick around for you're killing me smalls we are right back to the Character and smallman podcast on 101 espn <laughs>
2: Michelle and Emily were just wondering what's going on with Scooty Booty. And I said, well, <laughs> I'll check out the Insta. And uh, ladies, she's got a what she calls a little summer photo dump where she's got photos of herself on her Insta. And uh, it looks like all of her friends are saying... Uh, You look great. Uh, One of her friends uh, or followers says, good Lord. Uh, So (laughs) Scooty Booty is still out there. She's doing well. It doesn't look like uh, there was much. Maybe she went out and hung out with uh, Devin Bush during the the Steelers bye week. There's one photo of her in front of a bunch of sunflowers and her friends again saying, um, hey, uh, you look great and fire, fire, fire and all of that stuff. So that's what Scooty Booty is up to.
3: I love that. I love that Scooty Booty did a, a classic summer photo dump, especially the sunflowers. That's very classic Instagram. And thank you for that update, Randy, because I had forgotten about Scooty Booty, and that's a mistake on my part.
2: We'll provide periodic Scooty Booty updates <laughs> because we know you need it from Carrick and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
3: You're killing me, Smalls. Well, Randy, a lot of people were watching Monday Night Football last night as the New Orleans Saints beat the Seattle Seahawks 13-10. to Life without Russell Wilson, not great in Seattle, by the way, Randy.
2: No, they're, they're kind of scuffling with Geno Smith. You know what you're in for when you hire Geno Smith as your quarterback.
3: That's right. Well, I think you and I had the same setup. I had the blues on my phone, and then I had the Manning cast on the TV, and I kept going back and forth. I liked the blues on my phone because it was closer and I could hear it better. But the Manning cast, outside of inside the NBA, Randy, I think it's the greatest thing in sports television right now. Eli and Peyton do such a great job. They have such star power, and the guests that they bring on bring it every single time. I wish it was every week. But Marshawn Lynch came in last night, Randy, and he was – classic Beast Mode. Eli asked him right out of the bat if he was still doing his pre-game ritual of taking a shot of Hennessy, if he observed that before he got on the broadcast. And he said he had taken three, one for him and each of the Manning brothers. He said it was a three-shot minimum today. And during the game, Randy, he was just lounging, the camera was a little tilted, and Beast Mode did not hold back. Oh,
7: what the that f***? Not, mean? I means don't think say- it did not look good. It. Peyton, I don't think they had a play.
3: Dropping an F-bomb on the Manning cast last night.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and a couple of S-bombs as well. Yes. And there was one play where it was uh, third and short, and Peyton Manning said, so what do you like here? Do you like a little swing pass out to the right, or would you rather give it to the running back? Obviously referencing the Super Bowl loss to uh, New England, and he said, "I I want the ball every time. He was great. He was very funny. Eating Cheetos, too.
3: Yes, eating Cheetos, that's right. Didn't he say, put the ball in my hands? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Put the (laughs) ball in my hands. And if Beast Mode wasn't entertaining enough, they followed up with Tom Brady, who I thought was sensational. And, and Randy, I love that the Manicats gets these big guests, but it's so informal. You know, Marshawn's taking shots of Hennessy and eating Cheetos. Tom Brady's in a backwards hat and a TV-12 t-shirt. I just think it has such a great, relaxed vibe to it. My only criticism is that I don't watch the game. (laughs) I'm not really getting any play-by-play, or I only watch the game when Peyton and Eli bring it back to something that they want to highlight, but the conversations that they have with these guys are so great, and I thought Tom Brady was a perfect example last night because they're chopping it up with him. They're they're making fun of him of the last time he played the Bears and he didn't know how many downs there were. They were Peyton, or excuse me, Tom had said to Peyton Manning, I really enjoy playing you more than Eli, and Eli says, I enjoyed all of the games I played against you, Tom. They're having fun, but then they also extract such great information from him. He was talking about the different blitzes and protections that he'd faced in his career and what he likes. It, you know, He's talking about Saints cornerbacks that he's been studying and and the scouting report that he has on those guys. He was talking about the different defenses and how they've evolved over the years or how they haven't evolved, how Bill Belichick is, still has the same defense basically that he implemented about 20 years ago so I think ESPN has just hit a gold mine with this and I would not see them I would not be surprised if they try this format and other sports
2: the two brothers are so unique though. And I get the sense that Peyton actually wants to talk more football and Eli is actually more fun, which I didn't think would be the case. And Sue Bird was great and Drew Brees was great. One other fun part of it last night was when Peyton asked Tom Brady, how would you defend the Buccaneers? And he said, hey, just come up and play man to man and try to press, uh, try to slow us down because I think that's the best way to get to us is just try to press against Evans and Godwin And when we have Gronk in there And Antonio Brown I think you should just play man to man against us And I think that's the best way to attack us
5: Perfect
3: (laughs) scouting report Exactly what he wants (laughs) You're killing me Smalls Randy, our old buddy Jeff Fisher is in the news. Mm. You may have seen this but Brett McMurphy from Action Network HQ had the report yesterday that obviously ex-NFL coach in, in St. Louis, St. Louis Rams and obviously with the Titans and USC alum Jeff Fisher is in the mix for USC's head coaching position. Carson Palmer, former USC quarterback, also said that James Franklin, Matt Campbell, Luke Fickle, and Steelers coach Mike Tomlin are names that have been thrown around. But Jeff Fisher. I know that he had been connected to the USC job before, but to hear his name in the mix with those other candidates, Randy, was surprising, especially because he's been out of coaching for a while, and he's 63.
2: And he... The game passed him by in 2011. The game passed Jeff Fisher by the pro game, passed Jeff Fish, Fisher by a decade ago, and the, the college game is ahead of the the pro game. Why somebody would want to hire Jeff Fisher as their coach is beyond me but michelle stay with me here okay, okay. so he wins his conference he, he he's able to win the the big 12 east or north or whatever there i guess it'd be the big 12 south uh the pack 12 south pack 12 south with five wins okay because the division is just so bad okay, okay. So he wins the Pac-12 championship game. He wins a playoff game in an expanded playoff and then loses the next one. He could go seven and nine.
3: <laughs> I like how you did all of that math to arrive at seven and nine somehow.
2: Yeah, it could happen. It's it's there for him for the taking, which would be just spectacular.
3: Well, what did you think of... Mike Tomlin's name being thrown in the mix Jeff Fisher even though that's surprising USC alum he's been attached to that job before James Franklin Matt Campbell Luke Fickle all names we had heard before but I did not expect to see Mike Tomlin's name thrown in the ring
2: I think my, Mike Tomlin would be fascinating in college football and at USC I can see how Bill Walsh had his 10-year rule, that you don't stay in a job longer than 10 years. And he's been there now for 15, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe he's just thinking, you know what? I'll go try something new. And maybe USC is thinking he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. Uh, He fits what we want to do. I would be very intrigued by Mike Tomlin at the collegiate level and especially recruiting to USC.
3: I always look at it through the lens of Illinois and Lovie Smith, and I don't know why an NFL coach would want to leave the NFL construct and go to college and have to start recruiting. I I know – we just talked to Brett Bielma earlier, Randy, and Brett Bielma's in his early 50s. I believe he's 51. I think about – and Mike Tomlin's obviously younger, but when Jeff Fisher's name is thrown into the mix at 63, think about what Brett Bielma told us in the first hour of the show, that as soon as Illinois has a massive upset over Penn state, he's on social media and he's DMing recruits and he's throwing out texts to parents of recruits and that grind never, ever stops. And, It's just a a completely different component to the coaching pressures that you already have. And I just can't imagine that that would be appealing to someone like Mike Tomlin, especially in a pressurized situation like USC, where you have to be on top of it all the time.
2: And the last time... He coached at the collegiate level, was in Cincinnati in 2000. He was a college coach at VMI in 95, Memphis in 96, Arkansas State in 97 and 98, and then Cincy in 99, 2000. The college game has changed a lot since then with social media and with texting and with as competitive nationally as recruiting is. Yeah, that's not going to be an easy job, but I would be intrigued to see if he could pull it off.
5: You're killing me, Smalls.
3: And finally, Randy, a pair of game-worn shoes that Michael Jordan wore during his rookie year, they sold for $1.47 million at an auction on Sunday. The previous record was $615,000. That was set by another pair of Jordan shoes last year. But listen to this. So Michael Jordan wore the size 13 Nike Air Sharp sneakers. It was in his fifth NBA game, November 1st, 1984. He had 17 points, five rebounds, and five assists in 13 minutes. And Jordan had given the sneak to Nuggets ball boy Tommy Tim Lewis the who kept them in excellent condition this is per Sotheby's who had the auction they were signed by Michael Jordan but they sold at auction for 1.47 million dollars they're the most expensive sports shoe ever sold at auction the most expensive shoe to ever sell is the prototype of Kanye West Nike Air Yeezy one shoe that was 1.8 million dollars yeah.
2: There's no circumstance under which those shoes will provide an ROI, as the companies say. Return on investment is not going to match up what the investment was. Even if you display them at a restaurant or something like that, is there any way to get $1.4 million out of buying a pair of shoes?
3: No, and it's not like they were worn during a championship or the flu game or even in his very first NBA game. It's his fifth game in his rookie year.
2: Unbelievable. But, hey, congratulations to the people that got the $1.4 million for it. Pretty good. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up next, we're going to talk to our friend Mike Claiborne about the Cardinals hiring of Ali Marmol as their new manager. Claib's next on 101 ESPN.
0: We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: character and Smallman on 101 espn mike claiborne joining us on the brown and crouppen celebrity line and uh, michelle with apologies to kanye i'm gonna let you finish but i've got a couple of questions to ask mike claiborne okay okay go ahead randy claibs how you doing this morning
11: i'm doing great i'm doing great
2: okay so question number one i'll, I'll ask these in chronological order the Arizona Cardinals are 7-0 and for the first time since 1974 when they were the St. Louis Cardinals and they started off 7-0. and What do you remember about that start?
11: Boy, that was um, one of those years where they were finding different ways to win. And, and you know what? They snuck up on a lot of people. They snuck up on a lot of people who didn't take them serious. And they got some breaks. Uh, they stayed reasonably healthy if I recall. But other than that, nothing really jumped out at me other than the fact they were throwing the ball a whole lot more.
2: there were a couple of things number one that 's where the cardiac cardinals came to be because, like you said they yep. they played exciting games, and all the banners started going up. The other thing I remember claves and this is so vivid to me, just seeing it i don 't it 's like a, a blurry vision, but I remember waking up in the morning when they got to 7-0 and seeing the top of the Globe Democrat sports page featuring the football Cardinals. It was just so cool for me to see that the football team was the main news story in St. Louis.
11: And and you know what, Randy? uh, For those who weren't around at that point, that was so rare. That the football Cardinals led with anything other than the fact they were dismal. Uh, <laughs> you're right. That was quite a statement that they had made because we'd never seen it before.
2: They were, that was on the heels of three straight four nine and ones, and they wound up four nine and one. Yep, we were used to that. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that's all I knew. And then <laughs> yeah. the other question, and you've been around the Cardinals for a long time. Tomorrow, the anniversary of Game Six, the David Freeze home run. Where was Mike Claiborne when that ball hit the grass in center field?
11: I was standing uh, right there about to go on the field, right there um, near the uh, visitor's dugout. I was standing right there. I remember Jim Hayes was standing there near me and a lot of the national media and our buddy Chuck Torres, who kind of regulates things from MLB as far as media access and getting on the field. He was standing in front of me as well. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember it because I remember the sound of the bat. You know, then you looked up and, you know, the way it sounded, you knew he hit it well. And, you know, I I think the fact is how far he hit it was even something that stood out even more. But you knew he hit it well. um, And after that, everything was kind of like frozen, even him going around the bases. uh, It it, it was like this euphoria that you just don't experience very often. And then you say to yourself, I'll be damned, I think we're playing tomorrow night. Because think about how many times – we were on the verge of going home. And if Nelson Cruz plays that flop all the way most right fielders do, we would have went home. Well, we were home, but we would have been done. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a moment that will always stick in my brain as far as where I was at.
3: Well, Claves, Ali Mar Mall officially announced as the Cardinals' next manager yesterday, and I know this has been mentioned, but it seems like with all the the speculation surrounding Mike Schilt's dismissal, that it's kind of gotten pushed down at least a little bit from the byline. But you know, Ali Mar Mall is a young guy. He's 35. He's a person of color. He's bilingual. He speaks Spanish, and. You know, I think it's kind of interesting for the Cardinals to have this evolution with Ali Marmol now being the face of their franchise as the manager. It's, it, for a pretty traditional franchise, it seems like this is bringing them into the you know 2021 a little bit.
11: Yeah, that's a great point you make, Michelle. I know there wasn't a lot made of that yesterday, but I, I kind of took it in that regard where this was a team, an organization had that had been considered traditional for a lot of reasons. Uh, and and you never thought you would see that take place. I I know for me, I didn't think I'd see a person of color managing this team uh, in my lifetime, but, you know, obviously it's taking place. Um, Ali is a guy, and, you know, we we talk about his age. I I think what I always remind people of, Ali has always been around people older than him. Uh, You know, it's like when we were kids and you were playing with your bigger brothers and your older sisters, you know, and you were the the last one to get picked, but you learned so much from that. And I think Ali's kind of in that situation uh, from a managing and coaching aspect. He was always the youngest guy in the room, and what he's been able to do, I, I think, is is not remarkable, but really expected considering the opportunities that he's had, and, and the fact that Ali is one of the most observant. People I've ever been around, you know, I talk, told somebody yesterday, if you think Mike Schult was a stickler for detail, you got to walk around and see Ollie before a game. I mean, he doesn't miss anything. And as a bench coach, part of his job is to kind of oversee the drills and everything else that takes place before the game. And you see him pop, up, pop out of the clubhouse. They'd have PFP drills going on, and in September, Ali was out there making sure it was done the right way. So that's something I think we should look forward to. Uh, he, he's not going to be out or outmanaged with regard to saying, oops, I forgot something. I, I think Ali's going to be as prepared as anybody we've seen. And when you think about some of the other great managers we've had in St. Louis, that's the one thing they all share. They were always prepared, and they had their players ready to go.
3: Another thing that was touched upon in the press conference yesterday, Klaibs, was when John Mosalak was asked about how much autonomy that Ali Marmol was going to get. And he said, we we hired the manager to manage, but did note in other parts of the press conference that there will be collaboration. How much of an an imprint do you think the front office will have in these decisions?
11: Oh, I think there'll be a fingerprint there. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, I think that they found a person who... Who probably thinks like them as far as approach and just how much analytics and information is going to have an impact in how they do things so I think they have their guy uh, you know and Ali's been exposed to it from day one of his career so this isn't like they're indoctrinating someone Ali understands what's going on and and I think it'll, it'll be a good mesh because you know he's a guy with opinions and if you're a bench coach, you better have an opinion. And it's not always going to be the one that the manager is going to have. So he's got that ability to, to debate and discuss compared to accept or push back.
2: Klaibs, what do you think they need to give him in terms of tools so that they can do what Alex Cora did and win a World Series in his first year as a manager?
11: Well, I think, I think if, if, if you want to have your Christmas tree in October – um, you'd like to have a left-handed hitting shortstop, a left-handed hitting DH that plays outfield and doesn't play first base very well. Uh, and you need a third guy, third spot rotation guy in your uh, in your pitching and, and, a, and a bullpen guy. And, and a bullpen guy that has closing experience because I think what you're seeing in the game today, obviously bullpen guys have to go longer. And I think you have to have guys with more than one guy in your bullpen with closing experience because the way we use closers and San Diego was a good example. I mean, they wore everybody out before the All-Star break mm-hmm. because they just didn't manage the bullpen the proper way. I mean, when you go out and have to find Jake Arrieta in the last couple of weeks of the season and you see how he just has, he blew up everywhere he was at, that tells me that they didn't recognize what their needs were earlier. So I think you have to have those three things, maybe four, and you can compete. And, but but the, here's the other question. I think we're beyond competing. So don't you need somebody who's going to help you win? And I think those issues that I just brought up are the things that will help you win, not just compete. We competed this year. Yep. We did a remarkable job. I think it's time to start winning.
2: Follow Mike Claiborne on Twitter at Claibs Online. Check out ClaibesOnline.com and tons of material available.
11: A lot of stuff going on. Obviously, the baseball is going to be a subject. Uh, Rammer and Keith Costas will do their podcast talking about the World Series. Uh, we've got a great visit with Denario Alexander, former Missouri receiver uh, with Howard, Richard's huddle up with Howard. And what he talks about is name and likeness. He has a company that's doing name and likeness with college athletes, and he kind of walks us through that whole process. Is And considering Luther Burden has been mentioned to be able to, Command a nice sum uh, down the road. Uh, might be something we might want to pay closer attention to. And Kevin Weeks from uh, the NHL Network and ESPN joined us this week. So a lot of good stuff going on, and uh, what a good time to be talking sports in st louis is our blues are playing well the cardinals are making news and uh we get missouri going this weekend along with st louis shoot tonight
2: claves tony van Zant, andy rincon silvio martinez denario alexander is right up there if you're going to put it together a top 10 list of what ifs in st louis sports history he'd be on that top 10 list
11: no doubt Uh, When you saw what he did in his senior year, I think he had almost 1,800 passing yards in receiving. But, you know, when you had three ACLs, it's kind of hard to beat people. But other than that, Randy, he had size, he had strength, he had quickness, and he was a very good athlete, an accomplished baseball player in high school that had some offers. So this is a guy that had an incredible future in front of him. Uh, but the injuries just shut him down, and now he's found life after football, and he's doing a nice job with his new career.
2: We'll check that out, and uh, we'll check out com, and just follow Mike at Online on Twitter. Klabes, always good to hear your voice. Hey, Thanks for the time.
11: One quick question, Michelle. Did you find anything in, fashion, in the fashion district yet?
3: Not yet, but that's on the agenda.
11: <laughs> All right, well, if you find something – Point it out, buy it for me. I'm a medium, and uh, I will reimburse you or send me the link.
3: Sounds great. I'll keep my eyes peeled.
11: (laughs) All right. You guys have a great week.
2: Thank you, my man. That is Mike Claiborne joining us as he does every week on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to cross things over with Danny Mac as we head towards the Danny Mac show. They're going to have Oliver Marmol at 1030, so uh, stick around for that. And don't forget, Saturday, you can join Jamie Rivers, Donnie Fandango, and Jeff Burton for a special uncensored live last-minute blues podcast with Brett Hall. It's Saturday afternoon at Brett Hall's Junction House in Wentzville. Join Jamie, Donnie, and Jeff. They're going to sit down with Hully for a live conversation and a Q&A Get there early to grab a seat, get entered to win for uh, awesome blues giveaways. And you can enjoy the signature cocktail menu and the wide variety of menu items at Junction House. A live and uncensored last-minute blues podcast with Brett Hall starting at 3 o'clock Saturday. All the details now at 101ESPN.com. Crossings over with Dan next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: Dan McLaughlin is the voice of the Cardinals on Ballet Sports. He is the pre and post game and intermissions host on Ballet Sports for Hockey. He does this show every day here on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin is the voice of not just St. Louis sports because we do sports. Dan McLaughlin is the voice of St. Louis. Oh, stop. And we're going to cross things over. Give towards, me a break. No, you're, you're the best. And No, I just need I, gigs. I, I want to start <laughs> with this because I'm loving the pre and intermission and post with you and Bernie and you. And Bernie have been friends for a long long time yeah. and that comfort level certainly is apparent and I love watching it it's great TV. Thank you. It's it's been so much fun to be back.
4: Um people have asked me about it and uh I'm just enjoying it. You know, I it's where I cut my teeth kind of the, the you know mm-hmm. when I started and and I was in my early 20s when I got the the job and very very fortunate to be that young and have an opportunity to work with a major league team. Jamie McLennan piece. Yeah. That one... Noodles. Yeah, brought you to tears. It caused me to cry. That's what you were aiming for. Yep. And that's when I started to say that, okay, <sighs> when I produce a piece, slow dissolves on everything. i got to have piano music. And depressing piano, piano music. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely and maybe you and I have a connection through death i don't know you love to talk about death I, he had a near death experience or whatever I it was know. you know and you got to draw on that i don't know but anyway it's been fun and um and the team is really good uh, that makes it fun and bernie is one of my best friends in the world i uh, bernie was in my wedding uh randy mm. i mean so I, I just I love being around the guy. He's just a class act. So uh, all of it has been just uh,
2: tremendously fun for me. The World Series. And we're going to talk about Oliver Marmol in just a moment. And you have him at the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour. I think he's at 1030, 1030. Ali's coming up. Looking forward to that. Atlanta and Houston. And you and I were talking during the break. Probably the two most old, well, not probably, definitely the two most old school managers in the playoffs, yeah. Dusty Baker and Brian Snicker. You know, Brian Snicker was
4: in the, the minor leagues kind of like Mike Schilt was uh, forever and then finally got a shot. And, um, and you know, every, every team is analytically based now in baseball. Every one of them, mm-hmm. and it's just how far do you push it, or what uh, what do you have in terms of what what do you feel as an organization is your edge, that kind of thing. Um, but you look back at like this uh, ALCS, and Dusty stays with a starter, and just kind of read the room. You know what's going on. Okay, my guy's pitching well. I am going to keep going with him. I keep going with him. I, I don't know if you feel this way. To me. Uh, it solidifies without question that Dusty Baker should be in the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. now that he's gotten to two World Series in and all these postseasons of what five different teams. Now he's taken to the postseason, only manager to do that. Um, and if he wins it, it, it totally is the icing on the cake, the final nail in the coffin of, of putting him in. Um, Not him in the coffin, but him into the Hall of Fame. So I just I think that's it's it's fun to see two guys that are baseball lifers doing what they're doing, Uh, and it's really great stories. uh, Depending on how you want to look at it, the Braves go for it at the trade deadline, and the moves worked. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were left dead in the water. I remember sitting here, Randy, and it was, I think, past like 90 or 100 games. They had not been over 500
2: right? until they came to St. Louis. Yeah, I believe they're the first team that was under 500 in August to make it to the World Series. Yeah, and Houston still,
4: I think we were sitting here, too, and I said, man, I guess what we should be reminded about, and they won their first game against the White Sox or whatever it was. I said, that lineup is still really good. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. I mean, y- you look at the names in the lineup, they're loaded. So it should be a
2: great uh, World Series and looking forward to it. Ali Marmol seems like a very likable guy, starting at 35. Tony Larusa started at 35. Hopefully he'll have a long and fruitful career here in St. Louis. Yeah, I, I love what he said. He said these—and
4: uh, he's so right um, that you get these jobs— and you know there's a divorce coming. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you you you're hired to be fired. At some point something's gonna happen and it goes south normally. But if you have that long career and you get to leave on your own terms or decide that it's a you know, you want to make a switch or you're just burnt out, whatever. Um but he's he's I thought he handled his press conference very, very well. Um he's gonna be great with the media. I think you saw that. He had a little shilty in him too, mm-hmm. where you'd say, Well, I understand the question or Good question. Uh, I know where you're going with this, and let me see if I can explain it. I mean, he's very calm demeanor. Um, I think that's how he'll handle his players. It'll be interesting, though, to see if he manages um, like Schilt in term. I mean, he sat right next to him, mm-hmm. so you're going to see a lot of the same. I mean, and believe me, Ali's managing along with Mike. That's why he's there to say, "Are you thinking about this? You thinking about that?" Um, and managing Yadi in his final year. That, I, I think that's going to be fascinating. Yeah. I really do. Because, you know, Yachty's a big personality and it's his final year. But just trying to figure out the right times to get him and take him out, make sure he's getting the, the proper send off at various cities. I mean, all those things. That, that's something that's going to fall on his uh, plate. Great, great
2: storylines for 2022. No question. Looking forward to the show. Thank you very much. You're the best. Thanks, guys. Great job today by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. And Michelle, this was fun.
3: It was. I'll talk to you tomorrow.
2: We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the
0: show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
9: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama.